You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Welcome to Afternoon Cyber Tea, where we talk with some of the biggest security influencers about what is shaping the cyber landscape and what is top of mind for the C-suite and other key security executives. I'm Ann Johnson, and today I am thrilled to be joined by Roland Cloutier, who is currently principal at the Business Protection Group, which is an executive cybersecurity advisory firm. Prior to the Business Protection Group, Roland was the Global Chief Security Officer at ByteDance and TikTok, one of the world's largest leading media, social, and online technology companies. And prior to ByteDance and TikTok, Roland held Chief Security and Security Leadership roles at ADP, EMC, Paradigm Technology, and more. Roland has also held roles in law enforcement and is a veteran of the U.S. Air Force. With over 25 years of experience in the military, law enforcement, and commercial sector, Roland is one of today's leading experts in corporate and enterprise security, cyber defense program development, and business operations protection. Welcome to Afternoon Cyber Tea, Roland. And always great to be having a little chat with you over tea. Thanks for having me. So, Roland, you and I have known each other for a while. <laughs> a long time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I always hate to say that. But anyway. <laughs> And you have led security organizations at some of the most well-known brands in the world. I would love for the audience to hear a bit about your journey. How did you actually get your start into cyber? What drew you to the roles you've taken? And what's kept you in the industry all this time? Jan, um, this is a podcast. Do we have that much time? No, just kidding. <laughs> um, you know, we've, I've had a blessed career. I mean, I think you, you, know, you and I have talked about this in the past. I've got to do what I love doing my entire life. And when I left the military and went into federal law enforcement. I had no idea that my my life go in this direction. But of course, as a detective in a federal police agency, all of a sudden, you know, you're dealing with a lot of different type of criminal matters and everything had to do with technology. I mean, that was just the truth behind it. Um, you know, you had to get subpoenas and warrants and find forensics people. And the next thing you know, I you know, I really thought that I could do better. And I was prompted by a, a good friend and mentor to go back to school. So I did and, you know, and, and focus on computer science and then dip my toe in the dark world of commercialism uh, a couple of years later and became really a security program builder. And so my first role out of government was with EDS, building security teams in the Northeast. And I got to tell you, I got bit by it. And I just, I, I loved it. I loved building critical infrastructure defense teams for these companies, marrying the years of training I got in, in defensive operations and protection through the government and this cyber. It formed like a, a new mission in my life. And, and from there, I got a lot of great points along the way on how to become a good business executive. And that led me to my chief security positions um, in different industries. And here I am today, to 25, 30 years later, still helping other companies along the way. So, Roland, I'm going to take you back. I remember when we first met, which you uh, which you may or may not remember. Oh, but I, I remember. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's a punchline to this. So, I first met Roland when I was at this little company called RSA Security. And 
This bigger company, EMC, wanted to be able to secure access when people went to customers' environments to do maintenance on symmetric storage environments. They wanted to know who came in. They wanted stronger authentication. They wanted access. So me and my team went and pitched the CISO, Roland Cloutier, who we're all scared of, by the way. You have this big reputation. We're like, okay, we have to go in. We have to do a really good job. So ultimately, you ended up you know, buying the solution that we pitched. But more than that, I'll never forget Art Caviello said to me, he said, I told you to sell EMC. See, I didn't tell you to sell the company. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> I remember that because uh, we were we were so focused on uh, securing the totality of the business and understanding because we were in like eighty percent of critical infrastructures worldwide at the time, and uh, modems were a thing, and uh, that's how you manage these massive compute storage platforms for all these major institutions and in all nineteen critical infrastructure industries and. We all sat down and said, there's got to be a better way to do this. And, and and certainly RSA was that way at the time. And and I just remember it was what, not even not even 10 months later, and and RSA was part of the EMC family. That is correct. It was just a, a very pleasant uh, coincidence. And it was my second run at EMC, but I digress. We'll get back on track. <laughs> So, look, the world has changed a lot since then, right? It's gotten more treacherous over the years. Right now, um, I'm giving a talk with Nadab Zafrir from Teammate on geopolitical resilience at RSA, which is um, happening, you know, right after we're recording this. And we're putting out a call to leaders that they have to think about how they're going to plan for geopolitical resilience as well as cyber resilience and these inevitable global events and the issues we're having. I love your take on this. How do you think leaders and organizations are need today to build capabilities to ensure success amidst this challenging global environment? And what role does the cyber team play in building these capabilities? It is such a multi-level question, and not that I've lived this for the last few years, but uh, you know, I'll give you my take on it. So I think foundational, bottom line, basics, where chief security officers, chief information security officers, EIEIOs, however you want to look at them, they have to understand business resiliency and and really that three-legged stool. You know, the, the business continuity and big business impact analysis and how your business works. They have to be business leaders. They have to understand the difference between disaster recovery and continuity of operations or old school, you know, government folks like you and I, kind of cogs. And then that third component, crisis management. And not just cyber incident, IR, crisis management. I'm talking about business app impacting events that require strategic and tactical senior level capabilities to manage through crisis problems for the entirety of the business. So I think if you focus on those and you're, you have the ability to understand your business, understand what has to be in place um, in order for that organization to operate and what are the critical functions that impact the normal operations of business, you're in a great spot. And being able to take your business through putting in measures to identify those, continuing test those, all the things we've learned through our careers, that, that is just fundamental. Now, DR is different because DR is changing through digitization of our organizations and whether that means massive cloud migrations, native cloud environments, third, fourth, fifth party portions to our, our ecosystem that it actually delivers our products, whatever your business is today, understanding how you have to work within those the context of a critical incident when re recovering or driving your business forward without major components of your business process is, is truly critical. And, and that last component around crisis management, it is difficult to lead 
an operational integral part of an organization in the best of times, in the worst of times, it takes practice, it takes knowledge, it takes effort. You just go, don't go do it. So I think people have to look at that third leg as well. So that that is the under, from my perspective, the underlining three components that that people really have to build into their skill set at a leadership, especially security leadership role. And the other part is um, really understanding your AORs. Like, where do you operate as, as a business? What could potentially impact it? And a great way to do this is, you know, what they what they call pre-mortems. Uh, um, a lot of people call them post-mortems after incidents, but before they happen, look at the, the theaters of operation that your business operate in. Look at the top three to five things that potentially could happen there politically, legally, regulatory, socially, and Take those and apply them against your business. And what would you happen? Who would you rely on? What are the decisions you think you'd have to make? And, and have those discussions with the senior leader team of your organization. I think if you prepare on those two fronts, you're going to be well prepared for answering hard questions as they come across your desk in the future. I think that's really a good framework because the decisions are really individual, right? You you can't tell a company how they're going to respond to something, but you can give them the questions they need to ask and the framework that they need to ask it within. And then they have to make decisions that are fundamental to their business process, their values, their individuals, what parts of the world they're in, et cetera. And, you know, when I talk to your peers, they, they're, they're talking a lot about technology, right? They're starting to talk more about operations because they have to. They're talking about business resilience and operational resilience because they have to. But I'd love to get your advice. But a lot of the companies I talk to, right, and probably even people you talk to are more mature organizations. They're more mature on their journey. So can we go to companies that are earlier on their journey? They don't have the most mature security programs. They don't have the biggest budgets. They don't have the most people. What fundamental decisions do they need to make right now or what discussions should they be having? In, in the context of geopolitical issues or, or in the context uh, broadly of being able to support the, the business itself? Yeah, and I think that's a great clarification. I would love to talk about how they support the business, but then how do they support the business in dynamically changing times, right? What what are like the must-haves that they should yeah. be doing right now? All right, I'm going to take you in the Wayback Machine because I still think it's fundamentally important. Um, it, as, as you know, Ann, I, I don't call security security all the time. I often call it business operations protection because I really believe that's what we're there for. Whether you work in a business or an agency, you're there for the assurance and continuity of operations and the protection of what they take to market. And and so if we can take a step back and do something as simple as what most MBAs would call a, a Michael Porter's value chain, but do a value chain you know, a, assessment of the business. If you can sit down and understand how your business develops product, takes product to market, makes money, and services and keeps clients in the context of how your company operates, then you've gone a long way. <laughs> because, you know, we always say you can't protect what you can't see. How can you protect the business what you don't understand? I mean, just because you can protect the data center or a cloud compute infrastructure or a messaging platform or, 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 it doesn't mean you understand it. And, and it's the same with a business. I think in, in today's environment where CISOs, CPOs, CDOs, um, all the folks that are required to protect some level of operation in some way or meet regulatory requirements, they need to start understanding that they need to assess 
how their responsibilities goes across the entirety of the business and what they should really be looking at. And the good thing that pops out of that is that not only do you know how to protect your business, or you know what's critical to the operations of your organization, like a critical access protection program, but you also understand how your business operates and you can actually educate often your company on how their company operates. You know, like, you know, if those two third parties go away, we can't do revenue rec, nor can we deliver cloud compute services here. Right, I mean, like those are big aha moments. I've had aha moments in my life, and where we've lost literally like a smoking hole in the ground of a data center in Europe, and you know, I show up a couple days after this, it's still smoldering, and we're in the middle of you know a, a DR process, and realizing that we didn't even understand the extent on which continents that that one data center impacted. And CISO is a good way to start is get in front of their business by helping map out their business. And this is one of the most basic things any chief security officer should be doing day one. I think that's just incredibly important. And I think that that's what folks who are, you know, there's so much complexity and so much comes out, folks. The, one of the biggest questions I get is, where do I start? You know, where do I even start, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And people often start with assessments and technologies and vulnerability management assessments and, and risk posture alignment. And those are all great. And, you, and we have to do those, right? Because we have to make choices. We have to understand how susceptible our business is to an impactful event. And, you know, and all of the things that are minimum do care for an organization. But I always tell, and it, it seems like an aha moment for a lot of people, the first thing you should do is, is really a, a value chain assessment. Understand how each one of your major business operations work, how they make their product and deliver it to market and make money off from it. And that's a great place to start. Thank you. I had Charles Bonner on a month ago, maybe. And we talked <laughs> yeah. about, yeah, we talked about the role of the CISO. <laughs> I'm going to ask you similar questions. The role of the CISO or the CSO has evolved tremendously since Charles started doing it, since you started doing it, right? You've written a book about what it takes to hold the CSO role. I'd love to understand your take on the qualities that make a good CSO today and what's going to make a good CISO or CSO, you know, three, 10 years down the road. So I'm going to, I'm going to answer that question um, kind of opposite of, of my last question, because I think technical CISOs are important. And I think you know, a, a primary function of what we do as a CISO or a CSO is ensuring the defense of a technical architecture that is the business that is today's digital business. And, and so I'm not saying you have to code. I'm not saying you have to be able to, you know, drive a firewall. What I am saying is that you have to understand the basic uh, concepts of technology infrastructure, connectivity, cloud compute, all the things that make up our businesses today, because you are going to be helping drive technologists and professionals who need to make decisions. You need to help them make those decisions in the context of a, a security strategy, but you also have to be able to lead technical people. So I think we're not going to lose the technology component. We can't say, well, you can be anything and just become a CISO. You can be anything and become a CISO, but part of that journey is going to have to be technical. Um, then I'll revert back to my last uh, portion. Yeah, you have to be a business leader. Most of us in these roles, especially at senior levels, are now um, either corporate officers or part of an executive committee because the, the position has such importance to the organization. And it doesn't matter if you're starting off in a 50-person company, a 1,000-person company, or a 10,000-person company. The significance of how you impact the day-to-day 
of an organization's go-to-market, an organization's ability to operate in any given jurisdiction and manage through regulatory and legal issues is absolutely incredible. So you have to be a business person and a business partner. I guess that is the next area. Most of these areas you have to influence aren't just in your area. They're not just with the CIO or the CISO or the CPO. They're across the business. They're across the go-to-market ecosystem with your sales organization and your customers. And there are a lot of different areas. So understanding what it takes to be a good partner and an influencer across the organization, I think is the other major component um, when it comes to business. And, And from there, you can layer in things like understanding how to make good risk decisions. You don't need to be the CRO, but you better understand how risk is is implied and implicated in the decisions you make and being able to participate in, in a broader risk ecosystem. I think those are all great answers. And here's the thing. We keep hearing how CISOs need to be more business, but you're one of the first person that said, by the way, you still have to understand the technology and the application of the technology to solve business problems. That's I'm paraphrasing, but I think that's fundamentally important. And it's not easy, by the way, right? Like, I'm glad this one isn't on video because my glasses are, you know, getting a little lower down on my nose as I get older. But, you know, the funny thing is, is that technology changes on the, on a dime. You know, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, with ChatGPT and, and the things that we've heard in AI, I mean, just in this last year, um, the acceleration of things that CISOs have to learn about in very fast context uh, and the applicability to the business is incredible. So being a lifetime learner, being a lifetime um, you know, person of curiosity when it comes to technology is incredible. I mean, just look, I'm going to just continue on the chat GPT just for a second. I mean, think about it. It's not AI security. It's input defense. It's model defense. It's bias defense. It's usage defense. It's AI self-decisioning platform management, right? Like it, those are like, five different disciplines that a CISO has to learn or understand about before he can educate and consult his business on what they should do and how he empowers their, or he or she empowers their business on how to move forward, right? That's a lot of learning that, you know, as an executive with five jobs in a company already that you have to continue to do. So it's not for the faint of heart, that's for sure. I love how you frame that too, because I was, I'm in this conversation we're having a geopolitical resilience, we're talking about the defense of AI models and AI data, and it really is, plat- it just is another element of platform defense. And what I'm trying to do is keep people from overthinking it, right? Oh, yeah. I think, well, the problem is not only do they overthink it, they over-solution it in an era where often what comes to us as a day zero issue, there are no <laughs> solutions, right? So it takes framing context, a process by which you can take the business through how to um, crawl, walk, run through these things. And and so it is a broader perspective that people need to sometimes pull back to rather than deep dive immediately into technical you know, answers. Let's change gears a little bit. Let's talk about burnout. You know, I've read- Is that why you brought me on, Ann? Is that, yeah. is that why you want to talk about I brought about you burnout? on for my own therapy. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I've read a report, I've read a few of them, that CISOs are experiencing really high levels of burnout. The job is not as attractive as it used to be for a lot of reasons. Um, I'm curious what you're hearing from your peers in the CSO and CISO community. And then a challenge. What can organizations, CEOs, boards, what can they do to better support their CISOs and their chief security officers? Wow, I was all set to focus on the first answer. The second one threw me a bit. Let me... uh... 
All right, let me start with the first part of the answer. I, I think it's obviously the CISO has become an integral part of the operations of any organization. And it extends so far beyond just keeping the company protected. It's in our ability to operate as an organization legally in any given jurisdiction, to be compliant to the societies that we operate in To I mean, there's, there's just so many portions of it. And it's, and you know, it's not like a, you know, one to three year technology refresh. It's like in every six months, three to six months, new technology that, you know, we have to adapt and change for. So the speed of change, the speed of decisioning, and the far-reaching impact as organizations, you know, fully digitize can be overwhelming. And so what you're dealing with is a, I think, a two-pronged problem that CISOs are dealing with today. You have the Joe Sullivan-like issues where, you know, you have CISOs that are getting involved in legal issues and discussions based on the performance of a company or an incident. You have the targeting of CISOs in compliance actions independently as aligned to regulations and attestations. And so there's a really, really high level of accountability and focus on the CISO. And on the other hand, you have this massive groundswell. Tools are getting better. Technology's getting better. We're finding uh, stuff that needs to be fixed. And although budgets are increasing uh, predominantly, you're still having to prioritize what you don't do, right? And and we, we always talk about prioritizing what we do do. People forget about the prioritization of all the stuff we don't do in the context of, of that keeping us up at night. And then we forget, oh yeah, the third leg, we're also the 911 for the companies. When something bad happens, might be a cyber incident, could be a geopolitical incident where all of a sudden we're worried about pulling out of a country and how do we do that? to just about any other thing. The CISO becomes the 911 of the company. And so it takes a toll on being able to operate and making a personal decision. You know, do you want to be in that limelight, the target and the account of the responsible individual for, for all of the problems? So I think CISOs have an opportunity to develop themselves more broadly in leadership and their leadership capabilities, understand the totality of how we build and collect command staff or our directs to handle that load for us and, and trust in building capabilities into them. And then uh, I think the, the third part of that is our ability to educate the organization, right? Instead of just doing the work and taking the work, being better at having open dialogues and involving. And that doesn't mean making it someone else's problem. That doesn't mean making them, quote unquote, accept the risk. It means about being an educator and taking them through the business problem and, and involving the rest of the organization, making a joint decision process that takes some of that load off. So I think if we get better at doing those two things, I think we're better off. Now, <laughs> what can companies do? From my point of view, focus on your CISO. Make sure that they know that they have your support at a CEO level. Make sure that they have direct access to you uh, for critical issues. And that doesn't mean, you know, the CISO needs someone to go tell on all of the executives. It's the, not what that means. What that means is if I have a critical business problem that I want you to understand and I think you should, you should understand, I want to have access to you as the CEO or COO. I think it's critically important that and, and really successful businesses like Microsoft do that really well with their security leaders. And so I, I think that's one lesson to be learned. 
The other one is ensure that they're prepared through mentorship and education on how to deal with the things they're going to have to deal with, like the board of directors, like, you know, external regulators, like, like all of these things that, that CISOs are now being pulled in to be the lead on how to answer questions through, through PR management, like create a mini executive that you didn't think you'd need in this space by making sure that he or she has the executive education necessary to be successful in that position. And I think that's one of the most uh, other most important things that a company slash a CEO can do. I, I like that very much like the last end. I, I liked all of it. But the, the last part of that, understand that your CISO is an executive and they need not just CISO training, they need executive training. I think that's yeah. incredibly important. They do. That's for sure. It's been a great in my career. I'll tell you, um, I have had great mentors that have said, Roland, that's nice when you're, you know, down at the fort having a discussion. But when you're in the boardroom, let's let's talk about expectations and how to better represent that. And, and I mean, those direct educational sessions, you know, have been a highlight of my career. That's fantastic. Talent. I know you are huge on mentoring and building and passionate about the next generation of talent. We've have a talent shortage right now. How do you think the industry gets better? How do you think we attract more talent and more types of talent and different people who want to be in cyber and make them feel it's not quite as scary as they might think it is? Oh, I love this question. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to try with brevity because I could go on and on and on about this. Listen, I, I, the, the first thing is know what you need. <laughs> I mean, we can do best for the industry when we understand what we need to be successful security risk and privacy leaders in the future. So understand the workforce you're not going to need for the type of business that you're in and create the right job families and, and you know, what you need to be successful. For, so, for instance, you know, if you still have firewall engineer 101 in your job family, probably needs updating. A third of what we're going to need in the near future are going to be analysts, different type of analysts, threat analysts, data analysts, threat process analysis analysts, but they're going to be analysts like functions. So do you have an analyst function in part of your job family? Like, Take the time, be successful in understanding what your business needs for the next three to 10 years based on what you understand and create a job family matrix that is capable of changing um, with the needs of the organization. That's number one. Number two, do your university alignment. You are going to need a pipeline. So make sure that it, whether it's one university or it's 12 universities, that you do a great job at understanding your partnership with them, what you can provide to them, what they can provide to you, and how to um, engage them and use them as a pipeline. But you can't stop at universities. You got to get deeper into your community and involvement, I say, all the way back into junior high and high school, making sure that you're participating in STEM programs and, and you're pushing the envelope on why security is sexy, why cyber should be what people are considering when they go into security and, and how important it is to the future um, of society and getting people excited about it at an early age. Like I was in law enforcement at five years old. I know I wanted to be a cop. You know, we need to, people to get excited about cyber early in life so that they continue to under their progress of, of STEM programming and in education and even in government. And that brings me to my last point. I think engaging and understanding that we don't, not everyone in our organization needs to have a PhD or MBA, you know, post-grad, that there are other ways into being a successful individual in cyber or um, aligned practices. And that's things like certificate programs, 
folks transitioning out of the military, career migrations, right? Maybe you have someone in finance that is fantastic with numbers and data. And if you could just give them, build on that capability with security capabilities and understanding, that could be your next great leader, right? So think about career transitioning programs inside your organization or even outside your organization at the state level. And make sure that you, I mean, some of the best cyber warriors we have today come out of our national defense posture, Department of Defense and other aligned industry. Think about how you consume those folks coming out of uh, public safety or, or the military and being able to integrate them into your program. But do it in such a way that's meaningful and makes them successful during that migration. And those are a few tips I have. That's that's a lot of information. By the way, I love hiring folks out of the military because they know how to work on a team. They know how to work under stress. And I can teach them cyber tools, right? They know how to do investigations, a lot of them. So, um, well, look, I know you have a lot going on. Can you share a little bit about the listeners about what you're working on right now? Sure. This year is... A great year. I'm, I've I've taken some time out of operations to to sit back and be able to do some thinking. You know, as CISOs, we we're, <laughs> we're at about 150 miles an hour. Got a million things going on, and you don't get to dig deep. And over the last two or three years, especially my last position, there's some stuff that I realized as CISOs, maybe I wasn't as prepared for, and I'd like to help the world get prepared for. And one of that is data defense and access assurance. I think this is going to be a tipping point in probably two-thirds of uh, the focus of our organizations in the next five years based on the regulatory climate and the continuing development of regulations in this space. So not just about how do I protect data, but the whole concept around where is my data? Where does my data move? What's the lineage coming in my organization to out of my organization? Who has access from what country to what country? Like that is entirely misunderstood or understood inappropriately. And as that is now leaving very specific regulated areas like finance and things of that nature, it's now going into any business that operates on a global environment. And it's going to be impactful. So CISOs needs to be prepared for it. So I'm spending a lot of time there. AI uh, has been a personal passion for mine. I had to def uh, understand how to defend that, understand it in, in my last job in a very definitive way. And so I think there's new opportunities for how we as practitioners and leaders in the industry develop programs to enable businesses to run faster. You remember, Art always used to use the, uh, the break kind of, discussion with cars to get people's mind wrapped around. We're not here to be the brakes on the car to slow it down. We're here to have good brakes so people trust the, you know, the car to go faster. Well, it's the same thing with, with AI. We, you know, it's going to be business and societal transforming. We are going to be the ones that are going to be entrusted to protect that. So we need to start now. So I have a lot of focus on how to create programs to protect AI for, for security practitioners. And then transparency is another big area, of course, uh, for me. So how do we know what we're seeing? What does our ecosystem really look like? How are we representing that in, in, in how we look at our risk posture across third party, fourth party, fifth party? And how are we educating and preparing our business to operate in a very integrated supply chain of a diverse ecosystem? So that's kind of that, that thought of transparency and how do we get there for our business is super important. So a lot of fun things, Anne. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm taking the time to be able to dig in. I've met with over 100 companies since October and just getting educated in, this, in, in a lot of this in a very different way and um, hoping to help out my peers. That's fantastic. 
I love that you're doing that because you have so much to offer. You really do. Based on your experience where you've been, you have such a diverse background that you have so much value to add to the industry. So I'm glad you're taking the time to do that. You know, you've had incredible insights. We always try to create optimism on this show and, you know, a couple of takeaways. So what are you optimistic about right now in the future of cybersecurity? Oh, if either you're in cybersecurity or you're getting into it, it is the future of business. I mean, when we talk about, you know, business digitalization and the digital transformation of, of organizations, it is it's how our society is going to operate. And, and the fact that you can be in a career that's operational to focus, doing good things, protecting the world that we live in and the way that we live and do it in a meaningful way. And, and maybe public service or the military wasn't for you, but you know, this is just another way that you can serve society in such a positive manner. And it's, it's great positions. Like you, you do, there is not a bad position in cybersecurity today. It doesn't matter what you do. It's exciting. It changes every day. And it's just uh, very satisfying for people that like to see job well done. So I, I think the positive spin for me is that it's becoming not just a cool career, it's becoming an exciting career with lots of promise, a long future, and such diversity that I think it's just simply one of the best industries you can get into. Thank you, Roland. I agree, by the way. And thank you for taking the time to join me today. Well, and always happy to have a chat with you, whether on podcast or in, or in person, and looking forward to our next one. Great. And many thanks to our audience for listening. Join us next time on Afternoon Cyber Tea. So I selected Roland Cloutier to be a guest on Afternoon Cyber Tea because he has such a breadth and depth of experience that I knew he would be able to talk across a wide variety of topics and really contribute value to our listening audience in a meaningful way. It was an exceptional conversation. He's so dynamic and is so deep on so many things. I know the audience will really enjoy it. This week on the Microsoft Threat Intelligence Podcast, join us as we dig deep into the XZ backdoor with its finder, Andreas Freund, and senior security researcher, Thomas Rochia. Be sure to listen in and follow us at msthreatintelpodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.